Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. This conversation is with actor, writer, and producer, and amazingly talented person, Tina Fey. You know Tina, of course, from her work on Saturday Night Live, her best-selling book, her movies, and also for creating and starring in 30 Rock. My conversation with Tina took place in front of a live audience at the 2017 World Science Festival. Good evening. Hi, everybody. Hi, Alan. How are you? It's nice to be here on such a great day for science. (laughs) (laughs) Tina was supposed to be interviewing me about my new book, But like many interviews, many, many good interviews, it turned out to be just a conversation between the two of us. I think one of the key attributes of good communication is people paying attention to each other. But I mean really paying attention, really listening, not just having dueling monologues. I'm kind of fascinated by the idea that a fundamental tool used by actors, a kind of deep listening, can be used by anyone. The way I learned it was by studying improvisation. And although anyone can apply these principles, it's always fun to run into someone who learned it the way I did. It turns out that Tina Fey and I both began our careers in the field of improvisation, and in fact with the same company, the Second City. Tina worked in the Chicago company of Second City, and I worked in the New York company. And we were both trained in improvisation by the great Viola Spolin. But Viola's improv training was not to teach us how to be funny. Instead, it was all about relating and connecting, which, of course, is the subject of these podcasts. At one point in our conversation, I told Tina what a profound effect Viola Spolin's improv training had had on me, and not just as an actor, but in my whole life. And I wondered if she'd felt the same way. I did. I felt uh, that it was completely transformative. The, uh, the 
one of the core ideas uh, in improvisation is is to agree to say yes and right to agree is the yes, and then the and is to contribute something of your own. And it's something that once you get in the habit of doing it as an improviser, I don't know if you find the same thing, that I, it's just the way you think about things. And if you meet someone in a, in a work situation or someone who, who's starting from a place of no, mm-hmm. like, well, I don't think we're going to be able to do that. Or yeah. you're just like, oh, why would you... Why would you start there? (laughs) So I feel like it really sticks with you. Do you feel the same? Oh, very much so. Except once in a while I think about this, and I'm, I, yes and comes to mind often when I'm talking to somebody. But if I'm talking to somebody who's saying to me, you know, I was wearing my tinfoil hat this morning, (laughs) and it really helps, I want to be able to say yes. And then I want to say, and you're completely crazy. Yes, and, yeah. Who's like, yes, and goodbye. <laughs> yes, and well, oh, here comes doing? my bus. Uh, yeah, here comes my bus, and we're not even on the street corner. <laughs> so, wh- what, uh, wh- how do you handle that? How do you, how do you, what do you say yes to? I'm trying to think of examples. You know, of course, in our work, mostly it's sort of a, a production question where they'll say like, oh, well, we couldn't possibly, yeah. no, we like your idea, but we couldn't possibly get that done in time and this and that. And you sort of pause and say, well, what if we, let's just take a minute and what if we did the, you know, it, 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 you just open your mind up to being able to get things done. Um, yeah. Uh, I, guess, I guess it's possible to agree with some underlying premise too. Right. Like, yes, I, that's right. We've got to worry about time. That's, that's so important. Yes. How about if we do this? That should save some time. That, right. Yeah. Right. Trying to, to, and, to be the and, to yeah. add to the... Because it's so many of us, and I hear myself say it, I, 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 go, I get the yes part, and then I say, but. <laughs> yes, but. <laughs> and that's a good <laughs> substitute for no. <laughs> Tina asked me about the work we do with the Alder Center for Communicating Science. Because improv is a key part of how we train scientists to talk to the rest of us clearly and vividly. By now, the team at the Alder Center has trained over 12,000 scientists. Have any of the scientists left their careers to pursue improv full-time? You know, in our, in, our first, in our first group, yes, we had somebody. Oh, no. <laughs> It's but it, he doesn't do it full-time, and I know a scientist in Israel who's a great uh, co- a computer biologist, what do you call it, Com- computational biologist, who improvises... Uh, what? What is A computational uh, what is, biologist. What is that? You stick your hand in the computer, it tells you what's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, I don't know. I didn't want to show off, but I did sort of know that a computational biologist uses computer algorithms to find patterns in biological systems. But I wanted to get back to how my friend, the Israeli scientist, uses improv to help his team communicate. So he improvises with an improvising troupe every week. Yeah. And he uses improvising techniques to keep his team in the, in the lab doing good teamwork and, and helping them motivate themselves. It's, it uses improv the same way we teach uh, uh, scientists to do it in our, in our courses. Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 I believe improv can really work miracles. It can connect people who cannot connect in any other way. It, uh, it, it keeps you tethered. It keeps you present in a, at a time when it's very increasingly difficult for us all to be present with each other. Um, so I think, you, my God, you're so smart to have 
to have figured out that to well, take it, it down it, this road. it came out of me. You know, it's it's the process of improvisation. What comes to the surface is going to be good, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. And if it turns out to really land on people, then you realize you're doing something valuable, and you do more of it. Yeah, that's all it is. It's yeah. just following my nose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I had, I had I have a daughter who, when she was eight, she, she used to say. I would say, I'm, I'm cold. My nose is so cold. She says, sure, your nose is cold. The circulation can't get out that far. <laughs> Don't you love it when kids are smart and yeah. funny like that? Yeah. <laughs> it's not so long. You're, you, you, you have an 11-year-old? I have an 11-year-old and a 5-year-old, too, daughter. And the 11-year-old is doing something Oh, big? my, yes. I, I tried to, actually, I was applying a, a technique from Alan's book last night on my 11-year-old because she has a, a, a very very large and serious presentation tomorrow about Finland. Uh, <laughs> and I told her, I was like, you would think she was trying to pass the bar tomorrow. <laughs> and so she has to give an eight-minute presentation. And so uh, she, and she didn't want to do it for us again. So anyway, so we, uh, we used a technique in the book, and we asked her to give us the presentation in gibberish, but for us to try to still understand it. You know what gibberish is, right? It sounds like a real language, but it's total nonsense. Just like, blah, 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 blah. I guess most people know what gibberish is, but I wanted to make sure the audience understood how we use it in improv. Gibberish helps you use your whole body. Mm-hmm. It, get, it gets you out of the, the thing where you... You communicate, you feel, so many of us think that communication is getting the message right and saying the exact right words, and somehow that communicates what we want to communicate. In fact, it's everything. It's the tone of voice. It's the look on our face. It's the body language we use. Mm -hmm. All of that is really contributing an enormous amount to to what we're communicating, and it can help the people uh, get it better. So... You want to do a little, uh, like, we could do a little scene. Yes. And and do it in gibberish and make it a game, because usually these are all in the form of games. And you all could try to figure out what the situation is. Well, who who are these two people and what's happening between them? You may never get it. Depends on how lucky we are. This is what we said we were going to do, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is, we have like a relationship and a situation which we have not rehearsed. What did you get in the George Nick film? Yeah, it's true, but you guys do that in your border in the The audience is having a little trouble figuring out what our relationship is because we're basically just standing there talking at each other. (laughs) Our tone of voice isn't yet communicating what's under the gibberish, and neither is our body language. I seem to be imploring her to do something, but it's not clear what. Finally, Tina follows a basic rule in improv. When you're stuck, go to the place. Use the place. What Viola Spolin calls the where. So Tina crosses the stage and does something with what seems to be some sort of equipment. But I can't tell what it is because her back is to me. I'm watching her carefully and I see her arms moving. Blah, blah. I'm trying to get as much information by observing as I can. She comes back, 
and she holds out her arms as if to dance with me. Ah, I think. She's been turning on a record player over there, and now we're dancing. <laughs> we were for, now we were pretty Russian. Our our gibberish was pretty. You got, you got pretty right Russian. Into the Russian too. You never know what you never so know where. Who, it's who has any at. idea what was going on there? Does anyone have any idea who those two people were to each other? What their relationship might have been? <laughs> What was it? An old man with dementia. I think that was. <laughs> no, not an old man with dementia. <laughs> But just keep guessing. Neighbors. Neighbors? Want to go on a date? Yeah. Yeah. Teacher. Yes. Who yes. said that? He was the teacher, right? Yes, the yes, student wants to go on a date with the teacher. The student was asking the teacher to go to prom. Good. See, yeah. But what's, what's fun about this, regardless of how many people we conveyed it to, what's fun is it was a very hard thing to do, so we had to find ways to physicalize it, mm. to communicate it, not only to, to you watching, but to each other, so we could move through this encounter that we didn't know where it came from or where it would go. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty hard one. I never did one that hard. That was like, it was a very specific uh, yeah. relationship. Sometimes when we're trying to communicate something difficult, we seem to be speaking gibberish without even knowing it. That's when we're using some incomprehensible jargon. We started to talk about that and then drifted away. But Tina brought us back. Let's talk some more about jargon. Yeah. And yeah. how it, do you believe it to be a, a curse in some ways? Every day you run across some kind of jargon. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense because if it takes five pages to say something you can say in one word, yes. then it makes sense to use yeah. that word as long as you're talking to somebody who knows what the word means. Yeah, like kofefe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank goodness there's a small group of people small who know people. what that means. Very small. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, wow, you're going to the mat on that one. Okay. Do you, how do you do when you hear scientific jargon? I do terribly. I am, I would, I am, do not think of myself as a science person. I try not to even say that out loud around my daughters because they like science and I want them to continue. I take a science, I took a science class with both of my daughters. It's like uh, at the, across the street at the natural history and I'm, <laughs> I'm always wrong. I'm always answering in my head and I'm like, arthropod, no, no. <laughs> uh, I, I'm terrible with your, like I, I'm the kind of person, I can't memorize the names of flowers. It's oh, I'm bad at that too. Gone. My wife Arlene is so good at that, so I make up names. <laughs> Flowers. Yeah, wow, look at that great hydrofloxia. <laughs> she knows I don't know anything and she just laughs at me. When we come back after the break, Tina and I have a little surprise for the audience. It's a special guest I invite up from the front row, Brian Greene, the well-known physicist and best-selling author. 
We're going to put him to a test. We're going to see if he can explain some pretty tough physics to Tina without ever lapsing into jargon. And the catch is, Tina's going to have to actually know what he's talking about. This was fun. Stay tuned. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a Remax agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. You're listening to Clear and Vivid, and now back to my conversation with Tina Fey. I bet you, if we worked on it, Pardon? if we worked on this, yeah. you, we could get somebody to help you understand something really complicated. You could try. I would be a really, I'm a tough customer on it because I'm... Well, be as tough as you can. I mean, I'm going to just pick somebody who looks like a scientist. And... <laughs> You look at you. Are you a scientist? Would you help us? Yeah. Now, we've never met before. Never. Never. This is the great Brian Green, as you all know. Hello, Brian. So, have a seat. Hello. So uh, do you want to do you want to get a topic maybe from the audience, Brian, that anybody? What, what are we going to do with the topic? Discuss you're going it? to explain something complicated to Tina. And Tina has a buzzer here and anything she doesn't understand. She'll just she'll buzz you if she's not following. Remember, we said the whole point is to help the other person follow you. So if she's not following you, she'll let you know. You won't even have to read it on her face. Should I test this? Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow, fantastic. So, uh, yeah, we can throw out some, some topics. Yeah, but a string theory. I heard string theory. Let's do that. I never, never explained that before. That's what a, was that's it? a what? good one. String theory. String theory. String theory. Okay. Yes. <laughs> You're so screwed. <laughs> so dumb. All right. Go. So string theory. It's um, our attempt to unify the general theory of relativity and quantum mechanics in a way... Uh, I don't know anything. So, so let's start with general relativity. Great. That's a theory of the force of gravity. Mm -hmm. I'm good. We good on gravity. We're good. <laughs> Quantum mechanics is a theory of <laughs> matter. Okay. Very small scales. How the particles okay. interact, behave, okay. evolve by the Schrodinger equation. But <laughs> yeah. We don't need the Schrodinger equation. So, so our goal is to be able to have a single theory 
that can put together the laws of gravity mm -hmm. and the laws of quantum physics. So we have one unified mathematical description of everything in the physical universe. Oh, that was pretty good. Oh, you got it? <laughs> you yeah, got it? You think you got it? I, 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 you want to yeah. throw it back? What? Yeah, tell us. Yeah. So, oh, string theory is, is you're, you're uh, attempting to unify, that's your word, uh, the theory of relativity and quantum physics that we said, so that you can, use, you can have one sort of language to describe all of it. Whoa. That, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right. Do you want to do another one? Pretty good. Do, do, a hard, do a harder one? <laughs> harder than that? Harder than that? You want something harder than that? <laughs> Computational biology. Yeah, I'll let you do that one, Alan. Yeah, I already covered that. These are like really easy ones. Should we try that one again? All right, let's go with it. Okay. So, um, the universe mm -hmm. is usually thought to be all that there is. Okay. But there's a possibility that what we long thought was all there is might actually be a small part of a much grander landscape of reality populated by other realms that would be rightly called universes of their own mm -hmm. and the grand collection we would call the multiverse. Oh, that's fine. You like that one? <laughs> that's <All right>. fine. <laughs> yeah, I told you it's going to be an easy one. We need a harder one. Dark energy. Dark energy. Want to do dark energy? Dark energy. Mm. All right. So... For a long time, we thought we knew what the universe was made of. Mm -hmm. Things like particles, electrons, mm -hmm. quarks, neutrinos. I've heard of neutrinos. You heard of these things. So these are little tiny particles of matter mm -hmm. that we believe may not be made up of anything more fine. They may be the fundamental ingredients the out of which everything is made. Little tiny things. Okay. And we thought that that was what the universe was made of. But we've now learned that there is this energy suffusing space, which when you put into Einstein's, <laughs> we believe that there is this substance okay. that is everywhere in the universe, every nook and cranny of the universe. And when this energy is in Einstein's general theory of relativity, <laughs> when this energy is put into our equations of how gravity works, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We find that this energy gives rise to a repulsive version of gravity mm -hmm. that makes up the bulk of the universe that's giving rise to a negative pressure that yields a negative gravity that pushes everything apart, making the expansion of space, found by Edwin, Edwin Hubble in 1929, okay. making the expansion of space speed up, driving everything in the universe apart at an ever-quickening pace. Okay. Throw the one back. Whoa, bravo. Well, no, I can't throw that one back. <laughs> okay, so. You sort of like Chinese yeah. food. You got it for a moment. And I then got it. Then it. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> then yeah. I need more. Let me, let me say that, and I think you'll agree with this, that you haven't taught Tina everything there is to know about That's it. That's it. <laughs> now we're no, done. You're a really good communicator. Yeah, we're done. No, for, for her to be able to do work in this, to understand it at a deeper level, she would have to learn the mathematics. She'd have to really work hard at it. But you may have told her enough for Tina to be interested to know more. And when we make things clear to the public, that's what I hope for first. 
that they want to know more. I don't know. You might have yeah, to. You know, it's absolutely cool. right. I mean, uh, you, know, you know, jargon gets a very bad rap. It's vital for us scientists to have a shorthand, and that's why we use it. We don't do it to have funny-sounding words. We can communicate everything that we just spoke about here in one-tenth the time with ten times the accuracy if we make use of the actual jargon and ideas. But, of course, when you're talking to the general public who's not going to go to graduate school, you want to, like you say, excite them about these ideas. So hopefully you can do it in a way that gets the essence across. Thank you so much for helping. Thank you. Ryan Green. Toward the end of our conversation, Tina and I realized we shared a trait that you might not expect performers to have. We realized we were both shy. I was a shy kid, but here I could, on stage, I could be in command. That makes sense. A lot of people, a lot of people in comedy I know are very shy. Are you shy? Very shy. I am, yeah. Yeah, me too. I have, yeah. I have a lot of social anxiety. Someone from the audience had a question for us. What can you do about that? How can you turn making a toast at a wedding or making a presentation at work or, or any kind of public speaking into a pleasure instead of an invitation to an anxiety attack? One aha moment that I can think, first thing I thought of as a happened during improvisation was on stage years ago at the Second City. I was in an improv set where we would take suggestions from the audience and improvise for 30 minutes, different things. And I was in a scene with my friend Rachel Dratch and my friend Scott Adsit, and it was going so badly. It was, we were just bombing so hard. And I remember looking deeply into Rachel's eyes and she, she would clutch me, what we called her mouse paw, her tiny little hand was clutching <laughs> me. And we were continuing the scene, but there was a whole other level of communication of like, dear God, we are bombing. And the realization for me was that it, my greatest fear was being realized. We were sweating, bombing, it was going terribly. And the realization was that after it was over, we were still alive. Yeah. And we would live to fight again another day. And so for me, it's the thing of taking the, my, what is my greatest fear? What, what am I so nervous will happen that everyone will boo or no one will pay attention? Like, that even if that happens, you are fine. You will be fine. So if that helps you at all with your <laughs> public speaking. So do you find that that helps you in life too? Yeah, I think, you know, I think one of the biggest things you get out of improvisation work is uh, you abandon a fear of embarrassment. Yeah. And, you know, my friend Amy Poehler talks a lot about, she talks a lot about um, uh, improv help, having the courage to kind of break the social protocol, which is something that none of us have. You have to be not afraid of embarrassment to say, like, nope, I'm breaking the social yeah. uh, rules here and saying whatever. And so I think improvisation helps you with that stuff. Yeah, I find too, it seems uh, allied with that, that you get more used to the idea that something from your unconscious is going to come up and it's going to be okay no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. Whereas without that freedom that you get from knowing it's going to be okay, even, yeah. if it's, even if it's something bad that happens, ever you say something terrible, it's going to be okay because in the long run, what difference does it make? It doesn't, ma it doesn't matter. Yeah. You're still going to be there. Yep. You're just going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like that's a good one to go out on. I think we should be done, right? I'm very happy to end on holding up the book. That's <laughs> now available. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I had such a good time. That was so fun.
but we're not finished yet. We still wanted Tina to give us seven quick answers to our seven quick questions, and she was kind enough to drop in on our studio. Tina, thank you for coming back. It's my pleasure. Oh, it's great, because since you and I talked, we came up with seven questions that I ask everybody. Cool. Number one, what do you wish you really understood? The first thing that came to my mind was music. I wish I could read and read music and play an instrument and sing. That's how I feel. Yeah. You're the first person to say that. Now, what do you wish people understood about you? (laughs) That's a good question. Because I feel like in some ways I'm like, oh, we've talked too much about me as a community. So you wish they understood less about you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, less. Less. I wish they understood less. All right. What what's the strangest question anyone ever asked you? What's the strangest question? Anyone? Or a really strange question to be the. Oh, let me think. Uh, I don't know. Can I come back to that one? No. <laughs> <laughs> what's the strangest question? Sounds like you're basically an easygoing person. I am really easygoing. Nothing strikes you as odd. Uh, yeah, I don't, I can't, uh, I'm stumped on that one. Okay. Maybe well, something will come to me <clears throat> and we'll <throat> edit it and seem like I, make it seem like I knew in the moment. Yeah, okay. How do you stop a compulsive talker? Um, I ask, well, a kind of counterintuitive thing is to ask them questions to try to pivot the topic. Right. And that works? Sometimes. Right. Yeah. Or just, you know, fake a heart attack. <laughs> I find nothing works, especially if I'm the compulsive talker. That's, that's really hard. Yeah. My dad was a big talker. And my friend, Lauren Michaels, is a, is a pretty big talker. Um, and sometimes you just have to write it out. Is there anyone for whom you just can't feel empathy? I can almost always dig deep and at some point in fact you can go you can find a little bit but sometimes it's buried under layers and layers and layers of anger um yeah like a couple there's a couple famous people that I don't feel a tremendous amount of empathy for but I'd probably rather not name them (laughs) I think I got it yeah how do you like to deliver bad news in person, on the phone, or by carrier pigeon? <laughs> I think bad news is best delivered in person. And that's what you like? I think that's the right thing to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. So in other words, but in, re- in real life, you keep a pigeon. In real life, I'm <laughs> a fleet of pigeons and carrier rats. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last one. What, if anything, would make you end a friendship? Dishonesty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's well, uh, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I really like you. Thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. Should I try to think of the answer to the oh, other Oh, okay. Yeah, what was it? The weirdest question? Yeah. Sounds like that was it. Was the weirdest question anyone asked? Yeah, that's fine. I'm trying to think. Because certainly, you know, we've all done kind of press junkets and stuff. Yeah, where, we like, get a lot of strange ones. Definitely. You know, if somebody asked me, I'm not sure I could remember the weirdest one. I did. Well, this was just sort of a silly one, but we did a when the movie Mean Girls came out. Uh, it came out the same time as an Olsen twins movie called New York Minute, and I was at a Hollywood Foreign Press uh, uh, thing, and they said, 
uh, we watched your movie, and then and we watched the Olsen Twin movie. And with the Olsen Twins movie, everyone was very laughing. <laughs> but not your movie. Why? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I think you got it. This has been clear and vivid. At least I hope so. Tina's an inspiration for me. She's talented, creative, and a really nice person in spite of the fact that her Broadway show is called Mean Girls. Visit MeanGirlsOnBroadway.com for tickets. Tina and I appeared on stage together last year during the World Science Festival, and our conversation, uh, some of it anyway, is what you heard in this podcast. My thanks goes out to all the people who organized and produced that event, and I thank them for providing us with the audio of our interview. The World Science Festival takes place every year in New York, and I really advise you to check it out. It's an amazing thing. Five days of 50 events that combine art and science. You can find more about the World Science Festival at worldsciencefestival.org. This episode of Clear and Vivid was produced by my friend and longtime producer, Graham Shedd. Graham and I have worked together for more than 20 years, including many events associated with the World Science Festival. Our associate producer is Sarah Chase. Sound engineer is Dan DeZula. Our tech guru is Allison Costin. And our publicist is Sarah Hill. My special thanks to John Delore, Harry Nelson, and Jared O'Connell for their in-studio assistance. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcasts. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid. And I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Next in our series of conversations, former U.S. Senator and master peacemaker George Mitchell tells me what's really hard in bringing about peace. The hardest part, but the most important part of conflict resolution is to change what is in people's hearts and minds. And that takes time. It takes a lot of time. People who've lost a loved one don't forget it when a peace agreement is signed. It's hard, but George Mitchell, one of the world's most effective negotiators, has done it. Next time on Clear and Vivid. To listen to these conversations, subscribe now for free on Apple Podcasts. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.